Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Another week, another bottle of wine. You guys know that I really do it all for you. This week, the Wine and Chisme podcast is presented by Armitage Vineyards. Brandon Armitage believes that if we quiet ourselves enough, we can feel the plant's vibrational energy speak to us. This level of connection is what he believes separates one winemaker from the next, allowing for great variation in one's development of wine. He uses sacred geometry to pull this vibrational energy from the universe into the wine during all phases of transformation. At Armitage Vineyards, their estate vineyard, Heart of the Mountain, sits at 1,500 feet over the Monterey Bay, eight miles inland from the ocean. This unique combination places the vineyard right at the edge of the marine layer, giving it cool nights with light fog that burns off evenly to warm sunny days, helping prevent the common disease pressure that comes with too high humidity. The vineyard was planted in 2000 to five clones of Pinot Noir. Each clone is planted with its own block so that they can meticulously care for their individual needs. This 2018 Heart of the Mountain Pinot Noir is from the Santa Cruz Mountains. Taste the difference. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Like we just did this, except the opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was so much fun. It was. Now I get to put you in the hot seat. Yes. Uh-oh. I'm super excited. We're both wearing our branded sweatshirts today. <laughs> Always got to represent. You do. You do. But like I said, you're getting to see, like, you're really getting to see the natural me, like full on, with the exception of straight hair, because my hair is not naturally straight. I was like, forget it with the makeup and everything today. I was just like, nah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> That's what the people need. They want to see you, right? Yes. But I'm not somebody who like puts a ton of makeup on anyways. I've seen those people where they look completely different with makeup. I don't feel like I'm one of those people. Like, you still know it's me. <laughs> Either way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. So I'm super excited to talk to you because we did have so much fun when I was on your podcast. Now you get to come on mine. And I don't know if you got any wine ready. I have wine ready. You know I do. You do. I know you do. Uh, I have a bottle. I could crack it. It's Um, up to you. I see your eyes getting wide. It's... (laughs) You're three hours ahead. It's seven o'clock there. You, it's a seven o'clock on a Friday night and you're in New York. 
It is. It is. You know what? I have coffee with me right now. <laughs> but you know what? I'll crack a bottle. I'll crack all a right, bottle. All right. All right. Give me, give me a second. You okay. Know, I'm going to put this other thing to the out here. That's what we do, guys. I do it. I just, I just put it out there. Bottle. It really took like. It did minutes. not take. Convince me. No, it did not take very much to convince Pavel to crack open a bottle of wine. So legit took. I it was love funny. It. I was drinking. I was drinking coffee because I was like, I'm gonna work out after this. Who am I kidding? I'm not working out. <laughs> I'm not working out. Well, funny enough, I actually just got my vaccine. My first vaccine yesterday. So oh, my arm's you? a little sore. And I was like, oh, I can't work out what I want to work out, but I'll work out legs. And like every other guy, I'm like so easily motivated to skip leg day. So are you? I love leg, leg day. day. I mean, I, I like it, but it's it's the hardest day. You know what I mean? So I'm just going to crack this wine bottle. Here I am with yes, my electric wine I love bottle it. opener. I have an electric wine bottle, but my girlfriends didn't believe it was a wine bottle opener when they first saw it. <laughs> oh, what did they think it was? They're like, what is? Yeah, they thought it was an, another electrical appliance. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, it's a wine opener. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you need? Do you need a little ASMR? Oh yeah, do it, do it. I don't know if you can hear that. Ooh yeah, I already poured mine. I need to wait, but you, I will get mine. Like once we share, once we share what we're drinking, I will definitely give you the my sound effect. Let's do it. What are you drinking, Pavel? I am drinking... Is that 19 a, Crimes? It is a 19 Crimes. It's a red wine blend. And... Um, I saw yeah, the corner just, of the label. <laughs> but I know that a, label. <laughs> yeah, it's a blend. Honestly, I don't even know what kind of wine that is. Like, I think it's just a blend. Yeah. It's not the Snoop Dogg one, is it? It's not the Snoop Dogg one. I drank yeah. that one already. Yeah, I heard that one. I haven't tasted that one yet, but I heard it's like, eh, okay. Yeah. I've, I've tasted the other ones and they're pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but then again, I need to just learn a lot more about wine in general, though. Well, I'm yeah. so, you know, we're always learning. I'm still learning. Yeah. I have so much to learn. I go in these wine rooms and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know nothing compared to these people. But, yeah. you know, we learn together. That's why I try and share one thing. So I'm actually drinking the Armitage 2018 Reserve Estate Pinot Noir. So this oh. is out of the Santa Cruz Mountains. And... It is 14% alcohol, and the winemaker note says dark cocoa, dark cherry, mint, and vanilla bean are evident on the nose, along with hints of tobacco and forest floor. Round, and so when people say like forest floor, it's always, you know, you kind of feel like that earthy flavor, that earthy, what, like, smell. Yeah. That's what I think they're talking about. Round, supple mouthfeel with well-integrated tannins and a balanced acid profile. All the components are in good symbiosis, resulting in a delicate and balanced finish that lingers on the tongue. Okay, so let me tell you, I'm going to smell mine and tell you Uh, if I smell these things. So always smell it first, like don't swirl it, mm -hmm. because then when you swirl it and you're getting the oxygen, it actually smells different. Mm. Like try it with yours even, because even it's a red blend, smell it right now. Okay. Oh, I can definitely smell the cherry in this one and a little bit of the tobacco. See, I feel like my palate and nose are so basic and it's not like developed enough for me to do that. 
You just have to start tasting and smelling a bunch of stuff, right? Enough to start like building that memory in your brain. Okay, swirl it now. Swirl your wine. Okay. And then smell it again and tell me if it smells a little bit different. Like it should open up a little bit for no, you if you no. swirl it right. <laughs> All right be, maybe I'm not swirling it right. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, just let some air in. I mean, it does. It does smell. It does has a stronger smell. Yeah, because you're getting the oxygen in it, and usually you can smell a little bit. It opens it up. Yeah. No. 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 I genuinely, you really can smell. Right. It feels like it's. I sound high right now, but like it feels like it's traveling through my nose. Like it is in a weird way, like before it just kind of hit my nose. Mm -hmm. Like this one feels a little bit more even minty ask. Like it kind of felt like, you know, when you when you're sick, you put that you put that Vaporu on your on your on your nose. Yeah, that's what it kind of felt like. It felt a little minty. Ah, see, that's really interesting. Isn't that cool? Just doing that one thing. Yeah. Well, salud, my friend. Salud, you got me drinking wine. Okay, there, here's my. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Do this. <laughs> yeah. Don't break your glass. <laughs> What's gonna happen? Cheers. Mm. Oh, this is my first time drinking this wine, and they've uh, they're us. They're sponsoring this episode, by the way. Ooh. Yeah. See, I've always said it. I started a podcast in the wrong in the wrong area. You sure did. I should have done you. a whole podcast on wine because that's when you get the right <laughs> sponsors, you know? Yeah. Well, this one. Okay. So this one is a Pinot Noir varietal and it was aged in for 10 months in New French Oak. It's, it's fascinating. It really is. And it's so complicated. And... Yeah, it's it's just so it's it's such a complex scientific process. You know what I mean? Like people don't understand how much work goes into it. And yeah, yeah it is a science. You know what I mean? And it's Absolutely. interesting, too, because like, you know, I feel like many times the people that make these things right. We think about we think about them farmers. We think of them as like many time uh, like poor status. You know what I mean? Yeah. But. Like, I think we can easily replace the word farmer with scientist. You know what I mean? Because that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, they have to go out and trim in the yeah. right times. They have to know when when to harvest. They have to know. And then, obviously, once it gets into the tanks, they have to know what they're doing in regards to how much yeast is going in. and Because mm-hmm. the yeast is what kills the sugars that creates the alcohol in the wine. Mm-hmm. Very so, cool. I know, but it is. It's all a science. You're totally right. It's all a science. But it's really cool to, as I get to learn more and more, Mm -hmm. it's so cool to be able to share like anything that I'm learning to share it in the episodes. Yeah. Because I think that makes it way more approachable. You're hearing, oh, wait, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And you, and it tends to sit with you, right? In some random place, you're going to be drinking wine and you're going to remember something that we had in this conversation. But you're not going to remember where you rem- where you got that information from. And I don't care. All I know. Right. But it's more the fact that you like somebody is walking away with one other little thing mm-hmm. that they didn't know as far as wine. And, may, and when you get build up all of those little things, then you start really building a wine knowledge. And then you're like, hey, I know more than I thought. And you're going to be a pro soon. 
Exactly. Oh my God. The most insecure thing for me is whenever I'm at a restaurant and mostly like when I used to go out for dinners for work and then the, the person comes around and is like, oh, anybody want to order wine? And since I'm the one paying for it, everyone looks at me like, are you going to order the bottle? And I'm just like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. So like, <laughs> I, I want to get to the point eventually where even from like a regional standpoint, I can say I want it from there or like I want this type of red wine, for example, or like giving recommendations long term. That That's like that's like goal wise. Yeah. One of my fa- what a lighter red wine is actually becoming one of my favorites is Beaujolais. Mm. And it's a French wine because it comes from Beaujolais, France. Funny that it has bougie in it, huh? <laughs> I was going to say, is that where bougie came from? I don't know. Now that I wonder, I wonder if that's where it came from. Yeah. We're going to have to look that up now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, but it's actually it's a really light red wine, and man, it's so good. And I had my first white Burgundy because normally when you think of burgundy wines you think of red wines but there's white burgundy as well and i had it the first time a couple weeks ago and it was so good went through the bottle like that <laughs> <laughs> shocking <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i, I mean that. it's super good to be able to try different things and you know what you should do next time you know you're going to go to a restaurant if you really want to feel like you want to know what you're talking about, look up the wine list beforehand or call the restaurant and ask what their wine list, if they can send you their wine list, if it's not online. So you can look at it. So you can see like, oh, wait, this has these blends of wine or this has this. And then you'll go into that restaurant like a boss. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's genius. I never even thought about that. It's so funny because I've often looked up the restaurant and looked up the food. And I've, so I, I can already say like, oh, we're going to order this. Oh, the, the, those appetizers, this main course. Oh, they got dessert. Definitely ordering that. Dude. But I've never thought about looking and researching the wine list. Never. Do that. And then imagine doing that on a date, like taking a girl out Ooh. on a date. I'm, a, I'm helping you out, dude. I'm helping Ooh. you out. Can you imagine? You're like, oh, yes, this is she will be so impressed with you. Oh, that's a that's a Bahapanti moment right there. That's <laughs> yes, a that's a oh he knows his stuff. He's so sophisticated. Uh-huh. See, I got you. I got you. I told you. Fast we became fast friends. And I'm like, let me tell you how to how to do it when you go out on a date with the girl. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that. So I'm super excited to have you. Look, already we've been already having a good time. Because that's just how we do as soon as we get on. That's what the wine does to you as well. This is my first podcast I've ever done while I'm drinking. I mean, not that I'm drunk or anything, but like I'm just I'm not used to um, to doing this. And I think it may be I'm just going to incorporate this moving forward. I think I'm always going to do a podcast with uh, with wine. I mean, I'm telling you, it relaxes everybody. Not everybody drinks. Obviously, yeah. I give people the the option to not drink because some people just don't right. or some people have to work depending on what time we do this. <laughs> yeah. We don't, right? You're, it's already seven o'clock in the East Coast past seven o'clock your time. You good? You good? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. But I always notice like it ends up relaxing people, even if they just have like a half a glass or something. I feel like it helps distract them as well because I want everybody to feel comfortable. I don't want anybody to ever come on here get off and be like oh my gosh that was like the worst thing i've ever done in my life (laughs) i wouldn't want any nobody's ever said that thank goodness i've had a lot of people say this felt so much better than i thought it was going to 
Oh, that's dope. That's dope. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, hello, look it, it's me. I'm pretty rad. No. <laughs> if I do say so myself. <laughs> Duh. I'm not biased at all, right? No, not at all. So being in New York, that's like where you grew up, right? You were you born and raised in New York? Yeah, born and raised in New York. My mom just so happened to be in the Bronx when I was born. Like she mm-hmm. has a lot of, well, my dad lived in the Bronx and uh, my mom had a lot of friends in the Bronx and I guess she just so happened to be in the Bronx when I was born. So I was born in the Bronx, but I was literally, after I was born, transported to Manhattan. And that's where my mom lives right now still. It's where my grandma still lives. And yeah, it was New York, Manhattan, specifically on the Upper West Side. So I was born and raised in New York City. Gotcha. Okay. So instantly when you say Upper West Side, there's obviously a cachet that goes along with it. So (laughs) (laughs) you know there is. Well, it's so weird because have you, have you been to the Upper West Side? I don't, I've been in New York a couple of times. I honestly don't even, I don't probably not. I, I was in Brooklyn Heights and then actually the Upper East Side, my cousin used to live on the Upper East Side, mm-hmm. not the Upper West Side. So yeah. I've been there and I've been in Brooklyn. Well, yeah, it's interesting because like no one comes to New York and says, oh my God, I can't wait to go to the Upper West Side. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's not, it's not a destination for people to be like, oh my God, there's so many cool things on the Upper West Side. Like it's a very residential neighborhood. And uh, it, it's funny because growing up, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Dominican. My mom and dad are from Dominican Republic. You know, the grandparents from Dominican Republic. And, you know, they moved here to try to get a better life, et cetera, all those things. Um, and they, they decided on the Upper West Side, which at the time when they moved there, it wasn't the best of neighborhoods. But um, as it evolved, I mean, right now, today, the Upper West Side is probably one of the most, has the most richest zip codes in the world. You know, and I'm talking about like Jerry Seinfeld lives in the Upper West Side. Like um, it's it's home to some of the best private schools in the world. Like down mm-hmm. the street from me where I grew up and I grew up in the projects, public housing. But down the street from me, um, Macaulay Culkin lived like the dude from Home Alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like I was surrounded by wealth and like a lot of people with money just in my building. Like New York is one of those. It's, it's a really interesting place where on one street or one block, it's like wealth. And on the other street, it's like poverty, right? Like it's not as segregated as, you know, a place like Chicago, for example. Right. Yeah. So you were in the, in the low income area on the upper West side. Pretty much. Yeah. So how, how do you deal with something like that? Because you're seeing everything around you. I would imagine kind of like, Wait, how didn't miss our building? What's going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> how come everybody around us is? But also as a kid, wouldn't it make you kind of confused that you're in this area? You're still in the same literal area kind of zip code, yet your life is so different than the people right around the corner from you? Yeah, 100%. Like, it's it's so obvious. I mean, I I remember going in middle school and my, so I went to, I went to Catholic school for middle school. Well, I went to Catholic school my whole life, actually, middle school and college. And, um, in my middle school, it was mostly, um, you know, first generation kids, black, brown, and it was all, it was all people from relatively similar backgrounds, you know, low income, you know, in the middle class. Um, and it was all like, 
immigrant families trying to give their children like a private school education, but not being able to afford private school, like Catholic school in New York City. And I think it's like this in most places. It's like right in the middle. It's like your parents don't want to send you to public school because they're scared, but they have just enough money or they've like scraped up enough money to like put you in a in a slightly better education. You know what I mean? So um, everyone in my school was like relatively same level of income and stuff like that. But I remember like some, something as simple as, as uh, I remember like going to middle school and when they had gave you science projects, you got to like team up with different people. So I remember this one time I was like, I teamed up with my friend and he was like, oh, where do you want to do this project at? And I was like, oh, let's do your place. Me saying that because I was ashamed of where I lived. You know what I mean? And like so many times eventually he's like, yo, how about we do it at your place? And I'm like, oh, fuck. And then we were walking over to my place and I remember vividly like walking over to my apartment and on the way there, I was trying to tell my friend, like, I'm gonna move here like next year. He was like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm gonna move here next year. Like we're planning on moving. He was like, bro, it's a block away. Why would you move a block away? And like, it didn't make any sense, but that was me trying to be like, yo, you're about to see some like fucked up stuff, some Mm -hmm. like ratchet like stuff. But like, this is only temporary. That's what I was trying to communicate to my friends. You know what I mean? And it's because I was trying to communicate that with them, but also to yourself. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like this can't be our situation forever. We'll, we'll get, it'll get better for us. Yeah. And, you know, I've always, I always had food on the table. Like I, it was a very loving household. Um, It wasn't the worst of conditions, but there were some things that I was just, ashamed of. And I think it's because, you know, my therapist told me this, like, we never compare down, we always compare up. So like, I, you know, I could have compared myself to someone else and said, like, yo, I'm living a way better life, I should be thankful for this. But instead, I was looking around my my surroundings. And I was like, yo, Macaulay Culkin, look at this dude's building. This dude has a swimming pool and a gym and like all these other things right down the street from me. Like, why am I living like this is sort of like my mindset throughout the whole thing. I would, I mean, yeah, I would imagine, especially being a kid, you're seeing all of these things and you don't quite understand. What did your parents do for a living? Yeah. So my, so I never lived with my dad. In fact, my mom and dad were never like together, you know, mm-hmm. let's just face it. I was probably a mistake. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> it's okay. I was too. I was not planned. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so mistake's right. not the right word. Unplanned. That's a better uh, word. Yeah. I wasn't planned. I was not a mistake. You are not a mistake. Yes. Unplanned. But, uh, you know, they were, they were dating, but they weren't necessarily um, married, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. So my dad was there financially, but he ne- like I never lived with him. Actually, like I've always lived with my mom and then my grandparents, which is her mother and father. Um, and my dad was a high school math teacher and my mom was a um, administrative assistant. So growing up, obviously you spent majority, like you lived with your mom. Was it just mostly you and her? Do you have other siblings or was it, I know you said you spent some time with your grandparents as well. Was that you and your mom with your grandparents? Yeah. So going back to like some of the things that I was ashamed of growing up. Uh, so I lived, you know, where they still live now on the boy side in, in, in the projects. Um, it was a two bedroom for four of us. Right. So do the math. Right. It's my grandparents had a room and then I shared a room with my mom. Yeah, that was so embarrassing for me for so long. Like, I didn't, I didn't get my own room until I went away to college. Oh wow! So, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> There's so many things that I was just like, I did, I don't know. It was just like something I was like ashamed to admit for so long. And um, 
yeah, so funny enough, like I lived with my mom, but honestly, I never really saw her that often because she would work really late. And the people that really raised me uh, is my grandparents. Like my grandma was the one that taught me Spanish. You know, that was my first language. You know, she showed me a bunch of different things, but my grandma really raised me. Then my grandfather was there as well, as far as like being that father figure in my life. Um, And my mom was working all day. And then, you know, I see her by the time she got home, obviously she was tired and, you know, we still bonded in those things, but I didn't get really, really close with my mom until my later years, until like she was retired and we had a lot more time to actually get to know each other. I was actually going to ask that. Did that cause resentment? I mean, I'm sure on one hand, you know, that your mom's working to help provide, to help with the household and everything. But on the other hand, I could see it causing resentment too, in regards to her never being there, her always being at work. Did you struggle with that? I think I built up more resentment towards my dad than it was my mom. Um, Although I have a lot more, it's not like my mom was never there. Like she wouldn't come home at midnight, but I just spent a lot of time with my grandparents. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like my grandparents would pick, they're the ones that picked me up from school. You know what I mean? They were the ones that took me to school. They were the ones that um, if I was ever at home, you know, they were spending time with me, taking me to the park. My mom did some of those. She did those things as well. Just less of that because she had to work. Um, so I don't think growing up, I built resentment towards her, but there was a feeling of resentment and a lot of other negative feelings with my father because I didn't grow up with him. Um, and when you asked if I had siblings, um, I've always struggled to answer this question because <laughs> uh, shout out to Dominican men. Uh <laughs> All right. I feel like I already, when you said that, I was like, I already think I already know the answer to that, but continue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm the only child when it comes to my mother and father, but my dad has other children with other women. So I have step brothers and sisters. Like I have three step brothers and sisters, but some of them I've met once or like never met before, but, Mm. um, I consider myself only child though. Yeah. That I, it was just me until I was almost five years old when I had my my first sibling and then I'm the oldest of three. So to me, it's always like I, don't, I couldn't even imagine being an only child. Yo, they, only, <laughs> if I ever have children, I, they, they can't be only children. Like I have so many things that like I never even knew how to share. And I have so many embarrassing stories on like finding out that I didn't know how to share. Oh, well, I need to hear, we need to hear at least one of those embarrassing stories about you not being able to share. So I remember, I remember when I went to college and. In college? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yo, it's so like, I was like a grown ass man and I didn't know how to share. It was so weird. Okay, continue. All right. You know, you know, those cups that have like water on the outside Mm-hmm. And then you, you put it in the freezer and it freezes into ice. So yeah. like, instead of putting ice, you just have like that frozen cup, right? Yeah. All right. So I packed up all my stuff. I move in. I put that cup in the freezer. Um, and this is a point where like I'm sharing, this is like sophomore year. So I'm sharing a room with like, and it's not even random dudes. It was like some of my closest friends that I met in like freshman year, et cetera. So one day I'm coming home from class. Everyone's chilling in the living room, watching TV. And I see one of my roommates drinking out of my cup. <laughs> Yo, when I tell you I went off on that man, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? That's my cup. You don't see what I wouldn't take your cup. What do you do? And he looked at me like, you're joking, dude, it's right? A cup. <laughs> he was like, like, yeah, dude, it's a cup. He was like, dude, are you serious? 
And I was like, yeah, bro, what the f-? And I went, y'all went off. And he was like, oh, okay, I guess I won't use this. But in my mind, I never had to share stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, even till this day, when I go visit my grandma, she's like, oh, here's your, here's your cup, Pavel. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it, and it's, it's cute and it's like adorable. But at the same time, it scarred me because like, I didn't know how to share <laughs> That's funny. I mean, it's one thing if you would have said, look, this is my favorite cup. I keep it in here. Please, like, don't touch it. I mean, that's still what, because sometimes everybody has, like, I feel like that one kind of freaky thing that you're just like, <laughs> mm, no, please don't touch. And that's fine. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that you probably never said it and you're, you're like, rip into your roommate. Yeah, you might. I hope you're better at sharing now. Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> Did anybody ever tell you like, yo, you got a problem when it comes to sharing and you need to learn like how to we need to send you to preschool to learn to learn how to share. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've heard heard people say like, you're only child, right? And I was like, what is that supposed to mean? I get it now. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. You said you went to Catholic school all through high school and actually no, all through college, right? Uh, no, through high school. Through, okay, I thought you said through college too. And I was about to say, oh, Lordy, how like, are you scarred? Like, are you okay? Blink <laughs> twice if you need help. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's multiple <laughs> blinks, multiple blinks. <laughs> nah, I mean, I, I mean, all right. So like, I'm thankful that I went to Catholic school for a few different reasons because, you know, I've heard horror stories about, I mean, public school isn't bad everywhere. It depends where you live, right? It's all... Yeah. It's all dependent, but there, yo, there's a couple of schools in my neighborhood, public schools that are like, I mean, these are like the metal detector schools, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where they treat you like criminals as soon as you walk in and yo, you hear horror, horror stories. And I feel like in many ways, my family tried, you know, they wanted to protect me from yeah. those environments. And uh, what they didn't know was like, yo, Catholic school, like... That shit wasn't a walk in the park. I went to all boys Catholic school for high school, actually. All boys. And, uh, yo, there were so many fights. Like, dudes were in gangs anyway. Like, yeah. And one one thing that was interesting, though, about Catholic school, like, one, I hated religion class. It felt like another history class. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like they were trying to force us to do so many things when I was like, instead of you learning about something and then giving you a choice, whether you want to lean into something, I felt like very forced into a lot of things in my school in particular, I just had a, I had a difficult time with what, like the type of men that they tried to shape us into, like very early on, they gave us certain rules that you had to follow. For example, you weren't allowed to have facial hair past your earlobe you weren't allowed to have hair past a certain length. Um, Afros weren't allowed. Dreadlocks weren't allowed. Braids weren't allowed. All of these sort of things. And like, I think in high school, all I had was a mustache. That's all I could like, I could grow the facial hair, but I couldn't actually do it. Right. And it was all, it was all around this idea around like what a professional is supposed to look like, or like what, what a real man is supposed to look like. You know what I mean? And you had to wear shoes, right? No sneakers, all of those kind of things. And, um, I get what they were trying to do, but in many ways, I found it like so racist. A lot of those things are for people of color. You know what I mean? They're for black and brown folks. Like, and I've seen people with a slick back haircut and that shit might as well be longer than an Afro, but they didn't get anything. They didn't get reprimanded for it. You know what I mean? But certain hairstyles that 
were popular in our culture and our communities were looked down upon as not good enough or like unprofessional or like all of those sort of negative stereotypes. So, I mean, I had a, I had a decent experience. I followed all the rules, but I think very early on, I was taught that so many parts of my identity weren't professional or like weren't good enough for society. So I know that a lot of work that you do is in regards to redefining professionalism within communities of color and and particularly within the Latinx community. Obviously, now we know where it started, right, in Catholic school. But at what point, because I feel like when we're kids, we don't necessarily, and maybe you did, like you don't recognize all of the microaggressions that happen. And then you're older and you look back and you're like, what the hell was that? Like, (laughs) how? How did any I let anybody talk to me like that? Or how could I how could people think that saying that was OK? At what point were you like, was it still when you're in high school? Was it when you're in college where you're just like, dude, no matter where I go, I feel like part of my identity is supposed is like people are trying to erase in order to conform. Yeah. I mean, funny enough, it actually happened way before high school as far as like me being that idea around professionalism sinking in because my grandfather growing up. Uh, he he would tell me specifically, do you see presidents with beards? Do you see CEOs with beards? Do you see them wearing do-rags? Do you see them with their ears pierced? Do you see them with tattoos, right? And the answer to all of those are no. And I get what he was trying to do. Even in high school, I understand what they were trying to do, right? There are negative perceptions associated to a lot of those things. So in many ways, the high school and in many ways, my grandfather, they were trying to protect me from people's perceptions, But to your point, I think by protecting me, they also made me ashamed of who I was. And yeah, so I I didn't see it as like an eraser of my identity. I just always saw it as, yo, if I want to be accepted or if I want to make money or if I want to get accepted into whatever institution or whatever job, these are just the things that I want to do. And thankfully, I had this high school. Thankfully, I had my grandfather to teach me how to fit in because we all just need to fit in in order to make it in society. So I was actually thankful for them at the time. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, fine. I'm like, not now. everyone has them telling them this. You know what I mean? Some people walk into a job interview with like whatever. Saggy jeans and, and a white t-shirt. And I've seen exactly. that before. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Exactly. So like, I'm thankful that they're teaching me some of these things, but I wish they also taught me that, you know, th- there's a balance. Like you don't have to choose between the two. And in many ways, like you could bring, you could do both. So I appreciate those lessons, but also I think there was this lesson missing there as far as like balancing the both or finding your identity and in, in, in all of those things. So when you went to college, because you were so immersed in that, like kind of thinking up through graduating high school, because you went to a Catholic school, Did you kind of go crazy in college? Because I know a lot of kids that would, right? Like they're so restricted at home or they're so like taught very stringent and specific way that once they went to college, they like went, but wow, (laughs) crazy. Uh, You know, funny enough, I didn't have my first drink uh, and not like legal drink, but just like my first drink was sophomore year, freshman year, which is when everyone goes crazy. Yeah. I didn't even drink. I, uh, yeah, I, I started drinking my sophomore year. So I don't think I went, I mean, you know, I went crazy just like everyone else, but, um, it's interesting that I skipped that first year because that's the year that people typically like go off. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've heard it. I've seen it. 
I didn't go directly to, but I did go crazy right after high school for sure. No. I mean, I lived in San Diego. Tijuana is like 45 minutes away. Yeah. We were there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you get? Because you've had some pretty interesting jobs and a very currently interesting job because you are the global account director at TikTok, which I'm sure I feel like people are going to be like messaging just to find out whatever, like there <laughs> yeah. anything about TikTok. But you also worked at Facebook. Mm-hmm. You, we were, you know, like we were talking and I definitely want to get more into it because I know that this is something that's very passionate of yours as far as being repressed, like, like we were talking, repressing parts of your identity to feel like more included. You have all of these different things and your mission is, like I said, you want to redefine professionalism in the, in the Latinx community. So when you like how, what was that journey from college to Facebook, to now TikTok, and how are you working like what you want as far as you wanting to redefine professionalism within our community? Like, how are you navigating that previously and in, in, into what you're doing now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know I'm there's very... going to, there's a lot to that question. So <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's, it's a great question. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate about it because I think it was, and still is probably the biggest challenge that I face at work. You know, I've, I've had a bunch of jobs and some of them were difficult. Like Facebook was probably the most difficult job I've ever had just about the, the pressure, the expectations, um, even to just get into the job. Like it's, it's, it's a rigorous process, but um, eventually I got the hang of it. And the most difficult part for me was really just trying to balance or, or experience this conflict between like being my authentic self and what I've believed or been trained to believe is professionalism. And if you go back to even my grandfather or even like that high school example, like when people tell us to be professional, in many ways, they're telling us to be white. Yeah. My grandfather in that early example, when he's referencing presidents, and this is before Obama, right? When he's referencing CEOs, he's referencing old white men. Because in many ways, we've been trained to believe that they are superior and they are the epitome of success. And if you want to be successful, look like them. You know what I mean? I mean, when we tell people that that's unprofessional, right? We're saying that you're not acting white enough. That's pretty much what we're saying, right? So, you know, I I remember my first internship. I didn't get like a real internship or like real quote unquote job until I went to college and I got my first internship in corporate America. And I vividly remember walking in and just looking around at what I was wearing and I wasn't wearing anything crazy. You know, I was wearing like a button up with like slacks and shoes, but even that I was like, Oh, I'm not dressing enough. Like the people around me. So I just looked at my manager and I was like, Oh, okay. He's wearing this. He's tucking in this. He's doing that. All right. I'm gonna go shopping after work. And I didn't have that much money, but I was like, whatever money I do have, I'm going to buy I'm essentially going to mirror my manager's wardrobe, right? And that was like my first experience in corporate America. But then you move forward and then you, it's like continuing to edit yourself until you just get to a breaking point where you're just like, yo, what am I doing, right? The next internship, I probably changed how I talk because I probably said something, no one understood it. And I was like, all right, well, let me change that. You know, until I got to Facebook and I would legit assign myself homework on the weekends 
to study and immerse myself in whatever my coworkers were into, right? So Really? Yeah. So, I mean, because eventually I transitioned to a role in sales and in sales, you have to entertain clients. You have to build a relationship with clients. So it's not only about the nine to five, but you also have to quote unquote work from like five to nine because you're going to dinners, you're going to like happy hours, you're taking them to events. So I not only felt like I had to fake it during work, but also after work. You know what I mean? So I didn't really get to be myself until what, 10 p.m. when I'm going home kind of thing. And because probably most of the advertisers and decision makers were also white. A hundred percent. Exactly. So when I was at these dinners, right, whether they be with coworkers or whether it be clients, it's all about building relationships, right? On some level, we all have the same skills, right? And the way that you advance in corporate America is through building these relationships. I eventually learned that it's easier to build relationships when being yourself. But at the time I was like, all right, if I'm gonna build a relationship with these people, I need to find commonality. I'm not gonna find commonality by telling them on the weekend I went salsa dancing because they're not gonna know what the hell that is, right? Or I'm not gonna find commonality by saying, yo, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, you went to brunch, what'd you have? Oh, I had my phone go. Like, they're not gonna know what that is, right? I knew that instead I need to talk about like Bruce Springsteen. I needed to talk about like Dawson's Creek or Riverdale, whatever. Like <laughs> on the weekends, I would legit like, dedicate a whole day to like not watch what I want to do, but really literally listen to that shit all weekend so that when I got to work on Monday or whatever dinner it was, I can add something to the conversation. And then they could be like, oh, Pabell, that guy is a guy's a cool guy. Like I want to keep him around kind of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I and, mean, and we talked yeah. about this last time in regards to the pronunciation of your name, even that you accommodate people with, which if we yeah. can say Timothy Chamolet or whatever, look, I can't even say it, whatever his name is. We have all these really complicated white names when it comes to like, your name is not even complicated. Yeah. But Arnold even, Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Low. Like if we can say all these, why can't we say, you know, Herrera? Why can't yeah. we say Guerrero? Why can't we say Yangis? Why can't, you know, like. We yeah. have to. Why can't we say Pavel instead of, you know, Pavel? Pavel is how it is. Pavel. <laughs> it's you, like, you it's, it's so weird just saying that coming out of my mouth because I'm not used to saying that. You From know the what's beginning, so interesting? You know what's so interesting? No one ever taught me how to say my name in like English. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, no one has ever called me Pavel. No one. My family calls me Pavel, right? That's my name. One day, I'm imagining, right, in middle school or wherever it was, someone asked me what my name was. And in that moment, I had to make a split decision as to, do I say Pavel or do I accommodate to make other people feel comfortable? And in that moment, I said Pavel. And ever since that day, I felt like I couldn't go back. Like now I just tell everyone my name is Pavel. But it starts at such an early age. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, I can totally see that, you know, when you're, because you don't want to be different. Yeah. You don't want, you know, to feel like you're different because your name is different or anything like that. So at one point, kind of going back to with what you do as far as redefining professionalism, do you yeah. think you, I, you, when you left Facebook or what point were you able to even do that for yourself or start doing that for yourself while you're at Facebook? And are you able to do that at TikTok? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so I've I've had a bunch of like, I think the first part is like being comfortable being yourself, but then you get hit with like a bunch of microaggressions, right? And right. even racism, right? And um, 
I've had that throughout my career. I can, there's so many examples I can get into if you want, but um, I've always dreamed about working at Facebook. Um, when I was in college, everyone had a plan around what they wanted to do. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to work at Facebook. And the reason for that was because in college, Facebook was everything. Like that's how I met friends. That's how I found out about parties, events, all of that, right? So I didn't know what I wanted to do at Facebook, but I know I wanted to work for a company that I was passionate about, that I was passionate about their products and all of those things. And, you know, one of the principles at Facebook, one of their values is be your authentic self, something like that. So I was like, oh my God, this is the utopia or the pinnacle of like work environments, right? Like they're telling people that they can be themselves. Like I want to be there, you know? And uh, it was a dream come true when I got that job. But when I, I remember in college, I applied, I didn't get a job, I didn't get it, right? But I looked at the job title or the job requirements for the role that I wanted. And I was like, you know what? Okay, they want three years of Excel, I'm gonna go get that. They want three years of PowerPoint, I'm gonna do that. They want sales experience, I'm gonna do that. So like every job I had before Facebook was to get the job at Facebook. So when really I got the job, I really did. I wanted, I wanted to work there so bad. It was a dream come true when I got the job. And Facebook so far, I mean, I've only been at TikTok for a month, so it's too early to tell, but like Facebook's the best job I've ever had. Um, it's dope, but once I, did build, once I did build up the confidence to be my most authentic self, and I could tell you like what that moment was, um, I hit, I got a lot of microaggressions about it. You know what I mean? Like the simple question around like, oh, what did you do this weekend? I finally got the confidence to say, oh, I did, I went to, I went salsa dancing uptown Manhattan. You know what I mean? I'll show people the place. And, you know, it's not the most luxurious of places. You know, it's a lot of bottle popping, hookah smoking, that kind of thing, right? Mm. It's nothing illegal. It's just, you know, people different would say ratchet, different, yeah. whatever. But some, you know, the people would look at me and say like, oh my God, that, that, that's where you go on the weekends? And would just give me a look of like looking down upon some of the places, you know what I mean? Or I would give someone my PowerPoint presentation and they would say, oh, that, that slide looks ghetto. What? Or I think the, the last one for me was, I got labeled as aggressive one day and I'm the, I, I like so many people say like, I'm the nicest person ever. Like I always say good morning, all of those things. But when I got labeled as aggressive, that was a, that was like within a year of me working there probably. And I was just getting all these things and I felt like, yo, I'm, I'm just going to quit. Yo, I don't belong here. Like I dreamed about working on this place and I was like, this is not what I expected. Like I'm, I might get fired. You know what I mean? Like they're labeling me all of these things. Um, and eventually I was like, you know what, if I'm gonna get fired or if I'm gonna quit, I'm gonna go out on my own terms. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out just being my authentic self. And when I started being a lot more of myself, um, things changed and I started doing like some of the best work I've ever done, but it, it was tough. How much longer were you there after you were labeled aggressive? I was there for four years in total. So probably like two or three years after that. That is one of those words that gets stuck and it's so, it's, uh, it's such an irritating word, right? Unless I am, I was a cheerleader and talking about be aggressive on the football field, <laughs> doing a cheer. Like that, that, I feel like that's just, it's one of those dirty words used to hold BIPOC people and women like put them in their place so to speak 
Yeah. Because I've been told I'm aggressive and there's certain things where I'm like, well, so what? You just got to be. But then there's certain things where you're just like, I'm just who I am and I'm not being aggressive. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's just one of those like, like kind of ugly words for me. I had a really interesting conversation with my therapist about it. Um, So like long story short, what happened was that, you know, we were debriefing from a meeting and we were talking about strategy and long story short, I was like, oh, I disagree with, with that idea. And I was like, oh, because of this, this and that, I, you know, I had data to back it up. And somebody was like, well, like, I don't understand why you disagree. And I was like, oh, you know, because of X, Y, and Z. And they, and, you know, they, they were like upset almost, or like shocked that like someone disagreed with them. And I was like, yo, y'all, like, I'm fine with moving forward with whatever y'all want to do. I'm just giving my opinion. Right. And then they got loud with me. I got loud back. And then, you know, whatever. I was labeled as aggressive. And I had a conversation with my therapist and she said, well, were you using a loud tone? And I said, you know what? I probably was. And then she said, yo, that that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> You're like <laughs> giving the attitude back. You know what? <laughs> yeah, I probably was. Uh, but she said something that always stuck with me. It was like, you know, people that use a louder tone, that's the voice of the unheard. I've spent so many years feeling like my coworkers wouldn't listen to me. And she said that I probably use a louder tone to feel like as a last resort, yo, y'all don't hear me. All right. I'm going to raise my voice so that you can hear me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think about so many instances in meetings where like, I would say something, no one would listen to me. And then literally this white dude would say the same exact point. And then people look at him and be like, oh, what a genius, Pabell, write that down. <laughs> and like, I'd be yeah, like, I have, yeah, it's been written down like 20 minutes ago before anybody else said it because I said it. <laughs> exactly. So I, I just thought that was really interesting, her way of breaking it down as far as like why potentially I felt the need to to get loud. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that that uh, that word really hurt. And yeah. to your point, like it, yeah, it just hurt. It's like a triggering word. I think it's one of those just depending on who you are and how people have used that with you. I, that could totally be a major triggering word. Yeah, I I cried around that time, mm. and it wasn't at work, but it was at home with my aunt, who is like my second mom, really close. She was asking me how work was going. And I just like broke down. I was like, yo, and it was, it was around that feeling like, yo, I dreamed about working here. And now that I'm here, I feel like I don't belong. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. she, she had the conversation with me and it was like the first time I realized that like, I didn't have to code switch. Like, I didn't have to fake it. Um, I don't know how to explain it. It was like the first time that I realized that we've just been trained to believe that we have to fake it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, it was it was a traumatic experience for me. And that's like around the time where I was just like, yo, I need to just be myself and fuck it. I don't care what people say. I'm, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my own terms kind of thing. And that ended up working out for me. Um, but yeah. So God, yeah, that's a lot. That's a, there, like you said, there's so much that you could unpack there. When I know you've been, mentioned your therapist a couple of times, 
I know therapy is something that is still very controversial in our community because people are like, ah, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I don't need anything. I don't need, I don't need to talk to anybody. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But at what point, like, did you kind of grow up with the same type of attitude? And what point did you feel like therapy was probably serve you well? Yeah, 100%. I I remember growing up, one of my neighbors, uh, he, you know, lived like three floors down from me. He was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to one of those private institutions that were in my neighborhood. This is like a really expensive private school, middle school, matter of fact. Uh, It was like middle school and high school. But I remember very early on, he was in therapy. And at the time, I was too young to really understand what therapy was. But in my imagination, when when I found out he was going to therapy, he didn't tell me. It was like cheese man. You know what I mean? It was like his mom told my mom. <laughs> my mom told like, you know what I mean? It's like that Latino yeah. shit. Uh, but when I heard he was going to therapy, in my mind, I imagined him in a straight jacket. In, in a in a like a mental asylum kind of shit. You know what I mean? And I think it's because of well, one, like when I whenever I saw people in therapy in TV or media, I never saw people that looked like me going to therapy. I only saw white people going to therapy. And whenever I saw our people going through a tough time and like struggling mentally, I only saw them pick up a bottle of liquor, pick up the weed, pick up violence. You know what I mean? Like I never saw them getting help. So if I'm like, yo, if this dude's going to help, he must be under some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And uh, at the time when he was going to private school, with like a bunch of white people. So I'm like, yo, the white people got to him. (laughs) (laughs) He broke down. He couldn't take it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But it wasn't until after college when I was, I don't remember what job. Oh no, it was actually when I was working on Facebook. My friend was actually going through a divorce and I was like, oh man, like how are you getting over it? He told me he was going to therapy. And it's not about, it's not enough to get the exposure because I had the exposure at a young age with my friend, but it takes a certain like mental capacity and like sophistication to be able to like know you need help and like be courageous enough to seek the help. So him, me seeing him get it, but also me being at Facebook, they made it really easy to access it because they gave us like 50 free sessions. And then after that, it's like $10 copay. It's oh, it's wow. really affordable. Yeah. So it was like access. Imagine if everybody huge... had access like that. Like I just, wow, that's amazing. Exactly. So it's like access to it, which is a huge problem because it's really expensive, but also representation and like, you know, seeing someone making you feel comfortable to, to go see it as well. That's why I talk about it so openly. No, I mean, I think more of us have to, right? In fact, you know, what's so crazy is I know more Latinos, Latino men going to therapy than Latinas. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. At least out of the people that I know. That's interesting. So maybe I just have a lot of smart men in my life. Hey, you found some good ones, you know? (laughs) I, I mean, you know, look, it's about who you surround yourself with, Right. Like one of my friends said that he was here to to help me restore my faith. I'm like, I didn't lose faith in men. Like, I don't think all men are trash. I don't, I don't believe that. So you don't need to restore my faith in men. Like I, I have a lot of like rad guys that are around me that are just friends. I don't need that, that restoration. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need that. Yeah. I don't, cause I don't believe that, but 
That's how did you end up finding? Because I know that therapists can be really you have to find the right one for you. Yeah. So did you go through a few or were you able to like find the right one? What what was the most important thing for you when you went through therapy as far as finding a therapist? Yeah, that's so interesting because I feel like so many people, to your point, do so much research uh, and you know, they have specific criteria that they're looking for. For example, they want someone of color. Maybe they want someone that speaks Spanish. Maybe they want someone, um, there's so many things, right? With certain specialties. Yeah, I feel like I was so desperate to just talk to somebody (laughs) that, you know, legit, I picked my therapist. (laughs) I picked my therapist because uh, she was the closest one to my train stop. That was a requirement then? You said (laughs) a requirement. (laughs) And you just happened to get lucky with her. You know, all right. So I did. All right. So a few requirements I had. I had. So one the thing that I struggle with the most is anxiety. Till this day, still struggle with with it. Uh, anxiety was one requirement, like having that specialty in it. Uh, so proximity to a train station that I was nearby. So that's fair. And interestingly, interestingly enough, I wanted to get a white woman. And the reason for that is because I wanted someone that was as far away from what I identify as, as possible. And the reason for that is because I wanted, I wanted someone to challenge my thought process. And I wanted to, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's like, I wanted to find a deeper meaning to some of my challenges beyond just culture. And I wanted someone to challenge me and say that it's deeper than that. I don't know how to explain it, but like at the time I just felt like I wanted that. Now, I don't know if I'll ever change, like it's going really well, but at the time I just felt a need for that. I don't know why. No, I think that we all have different needs at different moments and there's certain people who can feel that. I can see that to an extent, right? I could see wanting somebody who is completely who may not know or who not may not, who will not know the challenges you've gone through as far as culturally and being a man and being a Latino man and being an, you know, an Afro Latino man and all of those things that come with it. So sometimes when we stay in our own circles, you know, our mind, like you said, we're just not being challenged or pushed. And sometimes we need yeah. that to see the bigger picture. Yes. Instead exactly. of people that can fully relate. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking, what I was thinking at the time. So then, no, that's, I think that's really awesome. I mean, to be able to recognize that you need that help and seek that help is already a really huge thing. And I really commend anybody who does that. Um, You know, I'm going through my own things as far as trying to find that, but I'm also doing like energy healings and stuff like that, which has been, dude. I love that. So good. And I know that there's like past traumas that I still like, I thought I have healed, but I hadn't. And it's not even, and I've talked about that in therapy before, but Mm -hmm. those, there's some things that you need like additional healing for. And that's what I'm trying to like get through on those as well. Yeah. So, um, you said, I always ask, like, if your life was described in one word, what would it be? And you said dream. Why did you say dream? I think I'm I'm just always dreaming. And it sounds, I don't know, like, it sounds corny when I say it, but I legit, 
just like sit down so often and literally dream about the most like unattainable sounding things. Um, and those things evolve over time, you know what I mean? But in college with someone that came from the projects, you know, Latino, like I never dreamed about working for Facebook. Like people say it's more difficult to get into Facebook than it is Harvard. And I didn't get into Harvard. So I was like, I'm not going to get into Facebook. <laughs> so like at the time, that was a dream for me, right? Like I didn't see it as attainable. And I know when I'm doing, when I'm on the right path, when I'm scared. Like if something that I'm dreaming about scares me, that no, that makes me feel like I'm tackling something that is bigger than me. And I like those scary feelings. I don't know, like something about, there's something about just like putting such a big idea on the board and like creating a plan around that and attaining that is just like so thrilling for me. Like I love long-term planning. And this is something that I'm also working through in therapy because I have a really difficult time celebrating and enjoying and living in the moment. It is damn near impossible for me. Really? Live in the moment. Impossible. Like I'm always thinking about 20 years from now. And when I say dream, I think it goes back to that as well. It's like, I'm never thinking about like what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm always thinking about like, all right, well, if I do do that tomorrow, like what does that mean 20 years from now? You know what I mean? Like it, I, it even, I even struggle with that in relationships. It's like, I can't just go out with someone like, Eat, like when I'm going out with someone, I'm thinking about like, what if I have kids with them? <laughs> okay, so any Legit. ladies in New York, <laughs> just so you know, I, I I got a girlfriend right now, but this shit, this is shit that I think about. Wait, with her did too, you tell I, her that? Have you told her that? Yeah, I talk about that shit. I'm very open with her. Um, but yeah, it's 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 regular shit. It's like. I don't know. I have a really time. I have a really difficult time um, enjoying the moment. I'm always thinking about the next step. So that's, I think that's what dream meant to me. No, that's awesome. I mean, I wasn't sure. That's why I asked. Cause I was like, Oh, that's an interesting one. <laughs> and I want to know more. Um, you also are the host of the Quien Tu Eres podcast, which I have been a guest. Thankfully it was so much fun. Um, do you want to tell little people a little bit about what the podcast is about? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, it, it's under the parent brand of Plural, which is all about um, redefining professionalism, specifically for the Latinx community. And when you think about the brand, it really falls into like three core pillars. Um, it's really about culture, which is, you know, nuestra cultura. It's about commerce, giving people a brand that they could represent if they wanted to outside. Um, and it's all about conversations. Like for me, it's not enough to just build community. I think the next step after building community is really having these candid conversations like we're having now because we often don't have them. And I think through these conversations is how we're really going to redefine professionalism because as I said earlier, so often we've been told that so many parts of our identity are unprofessional, whether it's how we speak, whether it's our names, with whether it's how we dress, with whether it's our natural hair. And I want to redefine what it looks so that when I'm a grandfather, I'm not telling people like, yo, do CEOs dress like that? Do like, you know, presidents dress like that? You know what I mean? I could point to people on my podcast and say like, yo, these are professionals too. You know what I mean? Like brands come and go, but these stories are forever. And 
yeah, I think through creating that representation and really answering that question, like in Duetas, because I think many people, like our coworkers think they know us, but they really, who they really know is our work persona. That's you know what I mean? Sure. Like I, I want to show people who we really are and explain to people that it's okay to be yourself and professional. You don't have to choose between the two. Yeah, no, completely agree. You know what? Just in a, and in what other people perceive as professional, right? Because all of a sudden I just had a flashback to over a year ago, because obviously a year ago we were in, we were still in the panorama. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I had a meeting and I was dressed like in like work shorts, you know, they're like longer shorts. They they're made so you can actually wear them to work if your work allows them. Mm-hmm. And a shirt and some loafers. And then I had a meeting and I had completely like didn't even think about it because I'd been wearing stuff like that for so long. And the lady was like, You were dressed unprofessionally. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, Okay, well, if that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I actually didn't end up wanting to work with her. But the fact that that was like, she loved it. She gave me a deposit. She loved my proposal and everything. But then that for her was like, I was like, that's just an excuse, but okay, that's fine. I don't need to work with you. You know, it's funny too, because people think it's just as simple as being yourself. You know what I mean? But people don't understand, like there are laws in place that tell us that we can't be ourselves at Mm -hmm. work. Like I'll give you an example. Just until what last year or two years ago, the Supreme Court justice ruled that it was illegal to discriminate for work based on sexual orientation. Yeah. Up to that point, it was literally legal to fire someone if they were part of the LGBT community. Literally yeah. illegal. Like, I'll give you another example. In New York, it just became a law like a couple years ago, maybe, that it was illegal to discriminate for work based on ha- hairstyles. Oh, we have the, yeah, the Crown Act here in California just within the last few years got passed. That is, that is crazy. Like you're telling me that there were, there was a policy in place that said it was like, I could get fired for having Or it didn't say it, it didn't, it wasn't a policy that they could. It was just sure. not protected. Exactly. So technically exactly. they could. Yeah. So, I mean, I had, I had a guest on my podcast that, you know, coming out of college, he was, well, he identified as LGBTQ, but in college you had this, he was like a treasure as, as like part of the, you know, the LGBTQ club at, at college. And he wanted to put that on his resume because he didn't have that much internship experience, but he was scared to put that on his profile. It's not just about telling people that I listen to DMX or telling people that I listen to Mark Anthony. Like yeah. it goes so much deeper than that. Like there are Rest policies in, peace, in place that- DMX, yeah. Dude. But yeah, but there are policies in place that tell us to not be ourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, it's totally true. But so what you're doing is very, very important to really focus on that and share that. And I appreciate that. Let people know how they can reach you. Obviously, your podcast is Quien Tu Eres, which you can find what on Apple, Spotify, pretty much everywhere. Everywhere. And then social media, what is your, so how can we, people reach you via social media? Yeah, on social media, well, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Just uh, Pavel Martinez, that is P-A-B-E-L. And then on Instagram, you can find me at uh, Plural, that is P-L-U-R-A-W-L. 
And then you got, and I will make sure to include all of those in the show notes. Fabel, you are, I always love talking to you. We always have such a good time talking. Yeah. <laughs> we'll finish this wine, but you guys won't hear the rest of the conversation. Until next time. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.